Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A word of warning. This podcast contains discussions that some listeners may find distressing or triggering. Please use your discretion. Hello and welcome to Reclaim Me. My name is Madeline Heather and today I am joined by Taylor. Now Taylor has been a friend of mine for a long time. We actually went to uni together. Welcome Taylor. Hi, how are you going? Long time. <laughs> I know. I am so excited to see you, your beautiful face and speak to you. There was a part in our lives where we literally spent every waking moment together and then uni finished and life got in the way, but it's so good to see you again. Yeah, you too. I'm really, really pleased to be doing this with you in particular. So do you want to start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Where are you from? What do you do? Um, yep. So uh, Melbourne, Melbourne girl, living Mornington Peninsula area. Um, I'm actually an osteopath. Um, so I'm in my second year of full-time work now. Pretty interesting time to start my career, given it was the start of COVID. Um <laughs> We push on. Um, but yeah, that's-, that's so good. And I think, yeah, it's so, we did health science together um, where we both majored in anatomy and physiology and then we we took different paths. So I'm, I'm now working in a corporate office and you're a practicing doctor and osteopath. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> yeah, we did take different paths, but um, we all had, we thought we knew what we wanted to do when we first met and then we changed our minds. I think it's so funny because every single person that we were in that group with at uni has all gone to completely different paths. We all started with very similar goals. None of us really went there. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Not really at all. No, I love it so much. Um, but you are here today to tell us about some some parts of your life that, that you've gone through. Um, do you mind get, telling us where you were and, and what happened um, in these circumstances? Yeah, so I guess like my my experiences, there's been um, three key events that have really, I guess, I guess you want to say shaped me as a person or influenced my trajectory in life. Um and I don't think they necessarily, the actual incidences themselves don't bother me as much today, but it's the long-term impacts that they've had that I still really 
struggle with um, and that, you know, you'll be going about your day and you'll realise, oh, I reacted to that scenario because of this thing that happened to me 20 years ago, you know, like it's still, it's such a long, long-term thing. So I guess my trauma, because it is trauma for me, I had to double check with my mum. It was actually when I was quite young, the first incidents, uh, when I was about maybe like seven or eight, um, where I was staying at my dad's place and my parents were divorced, have been since I was very young. Um, and I would go to my neighbor's house. Um, old man, he was probably like in his 70s. He was married with his wife. We were really close with them. Um, they would quite often babysit me if dad had to go to work or go to the shops um, or needed a break. Um, and basically, I think it was maybe a coming of age for me where I was over at his place one day um, and I was sitting on his lap and, you know, we'd done this multiple times and it was not abnormal and I kind of just had noticed that, oh, his, like, hand is up my shirt and don't know why it was that day or that particular incident where I was, like, really felt quite uncomfortable Um and I think from then it kind of blacks out from there. So I just remember the where the placement, the movement under my shirt um, and things like that. Um, and then uh, following on from that, I think it was maybe not that long after where I had a friend over at my dad's place. And this is my good friend, Sarah. Um, we were like inseparable back then. And we were over, she was over at my dad's place and my neighbour had come over, um, so this same gentleman, um, and I remember seeing him and panicking. And we, Dad had a, a bar at that stage, like this cool, cool bar at the back of the pla- back of the house that we used to play bartenders and stuff. Um, and I remember hiding in that bar with her being like, quick, like we've got to hide, like I don't want to see him. And she's like, oh, isn't that so-and-so? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, oh, why don't you want to see him? And I told her. And she was like, just, I think instinctively was just like, okay, don't make a sound. We'll just stay here, blah, blah, blah. And my, my dad actually was like, oh, Taylor, so-and-so's here. Um, do you want to come out and say hi? And we just like zipped, zipped our mouths shut, threw away the key, just didn't move. And so my dad was just, oh, they're just being girls playing, whatever. Um, and they were the main things that I remember about back then. Um, I think it was, yeah, not long after that where I actually told my mum what had happened. Um, and naturally my mum's super protective, like mama bear, mama bear. She went into like rage and I was like, no mum, like don't say anything. I was really scared. Um, and so she and like inevitably told my dad um, and it was under, I guess it was under his watch and she was really mad, understandably, but it wasn't necessarily dad's fault. He didn't know what's happening and I hadn't told him. Yeah. Um, but the thing that bothers me today, I guess more so is um, my dad didn't believe me at all. He was, he basically, from my recollection of that time, my dad didn't believe me and told my mum that I was making it up. Um, and yeah, that was that was the gist of it. That was the first kind of thing I wanted to wanted to bring up. 
It's just horrific as well because not only like the trauma you're experiencing from this man really going like sexually assaulting you from your like t- going over the boundaries, touching you inappropriately. And then you know that it's wrong. So you feel violated and you're doing all of the right things and you've disclosed to a parent. Um, I feel like, is that where you, you're feeling like more as well of that trauma is coming from is the fact that you had said something so serious and that he didn't believe you? Yeah, absolutely. So it's not necessarily um, like throughout my life that actually incidents really hasn't bothered me that much. But when I broke it down and um, with a lot of therapy, <laughs> um, I broke it down. The thing that I that stuck stick stuck sticks with me um, is that it has. I learned a behaviour from that, and that's to shut up when something like this happens. And that was reinforced and taught to me by someone who's meant to protect me. Absolutely, so that that's what still breaks my heart to this day. Um, yeah, and I think it's one of the the hardest things as well because, like you, you said, you you're in a you with between two parents. There's a divorce that's happened. I think historically people would be like, oh, she's acting out and trying to get attention, maybe for that reason, or trying to rationalize why somebody that is known to the family that they very much like and respect. How could they possibly do that instead of believing the word of a child? And it's so, I think it's so deeply rooted in what we've all been taught since we were kids, right, which is stranger danger. They're the people that we need to protect our kids from. When in reality, what the parents at home need to realise is that over 90% of childhood sexual abuse happens by somebody that is known to the child. So, what you were saying in that moment is hugely plausible and it's not up to him to, you know, defend somebody else or say that you're lying. That's just, I can't imagine how traumatic that must have felt for you because like you said, it's a learned behavior now. Now you know that you cannot go to him with anything. Well, it's not even him. It's just like, you know, you will... It's, there's more chance that I'm going to hesitate because it's it's just feeding into that. Not only does, like, I guess it's a societal thing, you know, will people believe me, but it's just like if you're during, like, those developmental years, if you're already learning those type of things, then what hope do you fucking have really? Like it's just like, you know, to confide in people for anything, and it may not be a trauma, it can be feelings, it can be anything. Like you're going to have that ingrained hesitation, I guess. Are people going to believe me and having that, as a thought before you express yourself as well, it just removes the chance of you being able to freely be you. It's one of those things. And I think this is, I speak a lot about parental reactions or reactions of people when people disclose things and it doesn't matter how badly or, or horrifically bad they think that it is, or it isn't your reaction in that moment. You know, you're not a jury. It's not for you to decide whether you think that this is um, a plausible account. It's not up for you to do that. It's up for you to listen and to respond correctly. Cause I think it is so traumatizing for somebody to be saying this. And if your reaction is anything other than supportive, then you're going to cause that person trauma. And it just, it kills me. I wish, I wish yeah. that they responded better for you. Cause this might've been something that didn't impact you as much as it did because it didn't have to, but I'm also so glad that you had the wherewithal. And that your mum believed you. Yeah, and I guess mum, that was a, a key learning experience, I guess, in my life because mum's always been that one person that 
I will go to and I know regardless of how crazy it is, like you said, she's never judge, jury, anything. She's just there no matter what and always has been. So, um, you know, there's a silver lining that my mum was my biggest supporter and still is. Um, but I just like if the biggest thing for me was just like why why would it I know that actually no sorry that I shouldn't say that like children can make things up and yes but why would they to a degree like children don't necessarily make up things like that you know not all the time I know they can like you said it could be a response to trauma and divorce and things but my parents divorced when they were like when I was like three um and so like for if I had constantly been I guess displaying behaviours where I was acting out or lying or things and maybe I could understand a bit better coming from his perspective but I wasn't that child, you know. Like there was no indication that I would lie. But I think it's a good point. That is, I think it's, you know, you've got a pattern of behaviour of being a very well-behaved child and things like that and even if you weren't, I think it's just staggering to me The just that response staggers me and I don't know what it is to be a parent and I don't know what it is to be a parent and have this come to me, but I would hope that I would react in a much more supportive way than that. And I, I'm sorry that that happened. Well, yeah, you did um, You did say that there were, were a couple of things that had happened to you. So this happened when you were seven to eight. Um, yeah, I think primary school age. Yeah. And, and what age were you when, when the next occurrence happened? So this was a little bit later on in life um, when I was, I want to say, 14, so about year nine in high school. Um, I was going through my emo phase, I guess, you know, loved loved eyeliner, thick black eyeliner, loved straightening my hair to an, in an inch of its life, um, fishnets, all that vibe was great. Um, I went through the same emo phase, big, big yeah, fringe. Look, Oh, yeah, I don't regret it at all. I was <laughs> like, that was the point in my life I peaked. Um, so I, I would basically, you know, had a group of friends <laughs> that were, um, yeah, same same um, period of their life, I guess. And we used to hang out um, the local shopping centre on a weekend because that's cool. Um, and whatever, I met, met this guy and through friends and stuff. And he was 16, um, so older than me. Um, and ended up being my partner, my boyfriend, I guess. Um, hindsight's a beautiful thing. God, he was a drop kick. Like, I don't know what I was thinking. Like I've made some pretty bad decisions in my life, but that was one. <laughs> Just, <laughs> um, so yeah. And he was my first probably real boyfriend. Like, you know, I had a couple of boyfriends in year seven, but like, this was my proper boyfriend and he was 16. So I felt pretty cool. Uh, and he was definitely like he had older friends as well. So I guess I was hanging out with a bit of an older crowd as it was. Um, and I was going through a pretty rebellious stage, I guess. Like I'd lie to my mum where I was going to be. Um, like I'd be like, I'm just going to go stay at my girlfriend's house, but I'd actually stay at his place, all of this stuff. So it was a recipe for disaster. Um, but Basically, there was one night where I had stayed over at his house and he forced himself upon me. Um, like we were obviously getting kissing and being a little bit intimate, but I had, hadn't done anything really like apart from 
any of the bases apart from kissing. I don't know which base is what, but anyway. Um, yeah. So, yeah, he can't really remember too much of the actual incident itself. Um, basically forced himself upon me. Um, the main thing that I remember is a sound and so I was resisting being like no it was all mucking around it was a little bit like no like come on get off me blah 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 and I was very uncomfortable um and he was like very persistent and then it got to a point where he had undone my jeans um and then all I the biggest thing I remember is the sound of like the stitching from my underwear being ripped like and I remember the underwear, they were purple and they were black. And that's like the one thing I remember. And then the next minute he was basically inside me. I was just laying there waiting for it to end. And then basically goes black after that. And then I got out of the bed, he was asleep. And I spent a couple of hours sitting on his computer chair at the end of his bed just like knees into my chest kind of fetal position and just like blindly staring um, at nothing until it got to a point where I was just like, okay, like I have to move, I have to do something, and then I don't really know what happened from there. That's just hugely horrific as well. And it is, and and that's the thing as well. I think people often think, oh, okay, you know, like it's, you know, I always say it's not the stranger in the dark alley. And, you know, for you, it didn't become probably a serious threat until you've gone and said, you know, it was playful and play fighting. And then all of a sudden there was a moment you realized it wasn't. I guess it was very, yeah, um, innocuous at the beginning. And then it turned quite rapidly and I was 14. Like, I don't think it registered until it was too late. And I don't know if I said no or not but it definitely my body didn't say yes by any means like I know that um so yeah it did change very quickly and it was yeah like you said it's not it's the devil you know I guess like that's the the scariest absolutely and I think you know I was listening to something the other day um, and basically it was highlighting patriarchy and misogyny in science and in society. Um, and it was talking about the scientist who came up with the case study and everything who did fight and flight. Now, what I found out was that 100% of the participants in fight or flight were men. So what's happened in further studies that have happened later on in life, um, you know, obviously in current times um, and from other people's professional opinions. And I would say from my personal opinion, having interviewed probably a hundred survivors is that over 90% of people freeze or 90% of women freeze or comply because that's the best chance that we have in that moment to survive. But because we're not validated by science, we're not validated by a name or a label to put on it it also makes you feel like you did something wrong. Like I, maybe I let him on or, or I didn't say no or things like that, but you didn't say yes, you know, and that's hugely, hugely fucked up. And I think, yeah, I think I definitely think like when I was, when I was 14, you, you're dead right. I was just like, oh, I could have stopped that. I could have done something. But um, even 
as I've gotten older or even just listening to a few of the episodes that you've done with survivors, it's just like validating the fact that consent is all-encompassing. It's not just a, a, a verbal, it's not just verbal consent. And I know that in my profession, like we bang on about consent, like it's, you know, no tomorrow, it's the most important thing when I'm with patients. So um, I guess maybe if I had a known you know, um, what it encompassed back when I was 14 or if other people would have known, um, it would have made a massive difference, a massive difference. I think to that guilt as well of being able to put a label on it for yourself and know that that, that it wasn't your fault, what you did, what happened to you was wrong and give you that validation and comfort, I guess, in knowing that you're right in some circum, in some way, maybe. Absolutely. And there was like, there was, you know, a rat even just sitting there on that chair for hours afterwards, I, I, I battled with it. Like I was, like you said, I was frozen in the moment, but I was also like frozen afterward. I was numb. I didn't really know like how to feel how or what to do. And I was just like, oh, did that just happen? Like, was that, was that what I think it was? Did that just happen? Am I, am I overreacting? Um, you know, all, all of these things went through my mind. Um, and yeah. And like, I was a 14 year old girl, like, yeah, you're not supposed to know, you know, yeah. You're not supposed to know the ins and outs of consent at 14 as it pertains to sex. Um, yeah. Should know what body boundaries are, but I mean, you know, I mean, it just kills me because, it's not your fault and it's not your job. What I pulled out of like that as well. So some of the things that you said, like, I can't remember everything, but I can remember certain bits. And we all, we have other senses, obviously, other than our sight. Um, we've got our smell, our hearing and our taste and things like that as well. So I think when you'd said the sound of the, the material ripping um, and you remember the specific underwear, these are things, especially with cases that come forward later in life that say a detective or something might utilize and they're indicators of veracity because they're indicators of truthfulness, I guess, in the context of the story, because these are very, very detailed pits of information that you wouldn't come up with if you were making the story up. Do you know what I mean? So if you were to have made this up, having those very finite details about the sound and it being something there for you and this being the memory indicates that that's a truthful comment. Not that I'm implying that I don't believe that. But I think for a lot of people, when they come forward after a lot of time, these are the things that, that break cases because it's an indication that you are telling the truth and I think that's really important. And the other thing that I heard was that you did black out and there's a part of it that you don't remember and you've just gone completely blank. And I remember that really much after my assault as well and I was the same age. And I know from working with my therapist a lot, it was called dissociation. So for me, reconciling how I felt was really weird because I almost didn't feel like it was me that had gone through that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does actually, yeah. Yeah, and I think I may have experienced a level of that when I was sitting on that chair because I was staring into space for a while, but I also was staring at the bed where he was asleep and just didn't feel there. But 
was there, obviously. It was, I don't know if that's similar to that numbing feeling um, or shock. Maybe it's more shock. It could be more that. Um, but, yeah, I do I do kind of understand where, yeah, your experience um, with that, absolutely. And I think it's just these things that when we talk to other survivors, there's normality in the reactions that they're having. And I think that I like people discussing that because there is no textbook way to react. There is no perfect victim. There is no, you know, I think there's validation in knowing that if you have done any of those things, that there are reasons why people do them and that it's common. So with him, did you, like, what was your relationship with him afterwards? How did that go for you? Um, so um, it wasn't a great relationship at all like the whole time really um it did happen a couple of times after um that initial um but I guess I was just a lot more passive and a lot more just you know I would just lay there and close my eyes or cry quietly until it was over um I didn't tell anybody for a very long time um I did end up breaking up with him um, I got a friend to run up to him in, in the shopping centre and tell him that it was done, so that was nice. <laughs> my little bit of revenge you. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it wasn't a great relationship. Like there was other things like cheating and he was not great anyway, but, um, yeah, it didn't last long in total. Um, but, yeah, like I said, I didn't, I didn't tell anybody for quite a while. Um, I think I maybe again told my same friend that I had told about my neighbour um, because yep. we were still very close. Um, so I think she was probably the first one I told. Um, but I was definitely, again, my my learnt behaviour was reinforced in that. Like I didn't feel like people would believe me. I was. I think I was still also to a degree in denial um it wasn't till much later that I started therapy well actually it probably wasn't that much later but I started therapy maybe a year six months to a year afterwards um where I was told that it was statutory rape and I think that pushed me further away from it and just made me ignore it like that it had happened to me so again I didn't really tell many people about it until I started dating my next boyfriend after that. So I did tell him about it and a few other people, but I actually didn't tell my mum in particular until, God, maybe I was closer to finishing high school or even when I knew you, when I first met you maybe even a bit later um, about it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, yeah, like you said, it's a learned response, I guess. And I think there's a part of that that you have been in that situation again and a learned behaviour from society is, you know, and that response to anybody going through domestic abuse is why didn't she leave or, you know. So you've got these instincts in your mind and from the things that you're hearing in the outside world that you're not going to be believed. And I think subconsciously as well a part of it that it is your fault, which it isn't. It's a societal thing and a response yeah. that we have to actions that we make or the actions that happen to us because I think historically as women we're told to be people pleasers we're told to be passive 
And this is our role almost. And I think for you as well, this is your first sexual experience. It shapes you in such a way because you have such a shitty fucking response now or a shitty association with your your sex life and with what pleasure is and with what sex and your role in sex is. Yep, absolutely. Um, it is. It just it kills me. And I think that's something that I've held on as an anger for me for a very long time because I don't think I ever started to really enjoy sex or being sexual with people for a long time because it was something that I held on to as anger, you know, and it, it was taken from me and I never knew what it normally was. And I felt robbed. And I think a lot of times I was trying to please other people because this was my learned role, not because I really wanted to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely agree. I've, I've um, spent a lot of time, particularly in the last three years um, with my psychologist. I see her very regularly. Um, And she was the first person to basically diagnose me with PTSD um, and talk to me about like just linking all these things, being like you have experienced trauma, whereas previous people have just been like you're just depressed, you're just anxious, you're just this, blah, 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 blah. And so one of the things that she really went, like speaking to her about um, the three incidences, and I guess we'll get to the the final one um, soon. She basically said, like, these are all sexual in nature, obviously, and um, particularly as you're developing. And mine were when I was quite young and still developing, like key developmental years. They basically interrupt the normal normal um, trajectory that you should be going on, you know, where you're meant to be experimenting or exploring, but also in a really safe and nurturing environment, I guess, you know, with people that you trust. And um, I guess the two ones that we've already talked about, they were two people that I really trusted. And to this day, like I know if I'm to go back to my neighbour, like I have a lot of issues around my breasts being touched, like a lot because it gives me flashbacks. Um, and I guess historically I'm really passive in sex because I can, I guess, get really anxious for no apparent reason. And so it has had a massive, like, astronomical effect on my relationships to date, like my adult relationships. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that is something that you know, if you've had a, a sexual experience that is hugely traumatic and you've been sexually assaulted, sex is a huge part of a lot of people's lives and something that people want to experience as a couple. And if that's causing you trauma, it's it's consistent trauma because, you know, all of those things that flow on from that and the work that you have to do to be able to be okay with yourself or to be confident enough to say, we've gotten to this point, I'd like to stop now because I'm starting to feel anxious as well. So, generating boundaries and having good communication and trust. I mean, these are just hugely difficult things to do. And I think there's historically that thing where people are just like, just get over it. Or you think that people are thinking that, but it's not. It's something that you live consistently over and over again in so many different circumstances. Hmm. I think that's that's a good point where people are just like, just get over it kind of thing. Like it's not something that the more you do, the better it gets as well. I think that's a key distinguishing thing it's just like um I I particularly find like in your relationship it's exciting and it's fun and it's playful and you know the sex is usually great but then when things become comfortable and you know you're settling in and things like that that's when it comes on that's when the distractions of I guess the honeymoon phase and things like that will start to fade away a little bit um and then you're like oh shit okay I still have these experiences I still have this anxiety towards something you know it's very much volatile I guess like it's up and down it's like so up and down but it doesn't to me it's yeah it hasn't really mattered how comfortable I am with someone it's still very much something that's an issue I guess yeah and I think it's normal and it's okay to have that and I think it's completely wonderful and fine to continue to talk about it with especially your therapist and to go through those things and, you know, even to pull it back maybe for somebody else, like um, if you have an association with something, so a lot of people I know have insomnia, so they will work themselves up anxiously before they go to bed because they know that they're not going to be able to go to sleep. And it's a just a feedback loop mm-hmm. of anxiety. Um, and I don't want to get into a huge science debate, but I think you know how I feel about homeopathy and (laughs) I think we both feel the same way. One of my friends had a homeopathic uh, melatonin, which is basically no melatonin. It's homeopathy. Um, So I don't believe, anyway, in my mind, she said that it was the best thing that she ever did because she had the best sleeps that she's ever had. And I think that is a wonderful example of the placebo effect working in inaction as I could in front of your eyes. But it's one of those things. It's an, 
it's an association that you have with something. And now you've got this negative association with something. And maybe in the early days, your butterflies and your more concerned about whether he thinks that you're pretty or, you know, you're concerned about different things or you're trying really hard, you know, those are different things that are blocking that out. And then it comes back to it, you know, without that placebo in front of you or without something else where it's stripped back, back to exactly what it was. And there's still trauma there for you. And there's still association of that for you. And that's the beautiful thing of therapy and of being able to have these conversations and go, holy shit, it's okay. I've got some shit to work through and I'm all, I'm all right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I did, I remember you mentioning in one of your previous episodes, post-traumatic growth. Um, and that's um, when you said that, I remember being like, fuck yeah, yeah, post-traumatic growth, love that, PTG. Um, because my therapist has mentioned it to me and it's um, <laughs> genuinely one of the reasons I reached out to you because I was just like, all right, this is going to be part of my post-traumatic growth this is for no one else this is for me and yeah really breaking it down and being like yeah I've still got a lot of stuff to work through and some days it's really fucking shit and super overwhelming and isolating um but at least I've got a direction I guess or yeah direction something to work on as opposed to this abyss or limbo where you're just like it's never going to get better Lack of hope, I guess, that helpless, helpless, yeah. Absolutely. Well, I'm so glad to to know that you heard post-traumatic growth because that's one of my favourite things as well. I think we often give credit to the fucking perpetrators. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really glad that you said that about post-traumatic growth because I think it's often when people say, because this happened, I am who I am today. And I don't doubt that, right? But you're only who you are today because of all of the work that you have done to make sure that you get there, not because of this cunt's actions, because you did the work, because you're a legend, yeah. you're a survivor, you're amazing, you're a warrior, you've done it all. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And you are, and you've become a doctor as well out of it. So <laughs> there is growth. So you did say that there was um there was a third thing as well that had happened to you. So this had all happened at from seven to eight was the first time and then like 14. So really young ages as well, still a child. Um, when did this third thing happen to you as well? Um, so I, I want to, I guess this, this again, listening to your previous ones, I don't want to minimalize what happened, but I guess to me it's a bit less, less traumatic, but my response to it was so out of proportion. And I think it was, a culmination of a lot of things, you know, it was one thing that took me over the edge. Basically, I think I was, um, honest, yeah, no, I was 18. I wasn't underage clubbing. I was 18. I was out of the club. Um, I was definitely intoxicated. Um, I was having a great night with friends um, and I need to go to the bathroom. Girls' bathrooms at nightclubs are historically shit because you have to wait for everything and I'm already busting at that point. So, I went with a girlfriend and we went to the male bathroom because there's no one really in there. We're like, coast is clear. Let's just get this done quickly. Yes. Um, and so I think I went in, was finished. She swapped. She went in and I was just like standing in front of the door waiting for her because um, I was like, I'm not going to leave her alone. And this this guy had no one had really said anything to us. They're just like, oh, cool, no worries. And there was this one guy. Now I can't remember if he said anything to me or not. I have no idea, but he literally just walked up to me and 
groped me like my genitals, I guess, like up my dress. And I was like, I'm, I remember this so clearly. Um, I was like, I flipped a switch, I guess. And I went into this hysterics. I like ran out, sprinted and found my closest friend, one of my um, guy friends. And I was like, that guy just did this. He's in the pink shirt. Um, he's in the bathroom. What the fuck? And I was just like bawling my eyes out. Um, the guys, I don't think they could find him, but they told security and security found him. Um, and basically like I was escorted out. My friends called my mum. My mum came to the club and this was in Mornington and she was like, what the fuck has happened? And my friends had relayed what I had told them. And my mum basically took me straight down to Mornington police station and we filed a, filed a complaint, a statement, made a statement um, to what degree they could. Um, but obviously I was intoxicated. So they were like, look, you're drunk. You're obviously emotional, whatever. Let's do this tomorrow. Um, again, look, the the details are a bit scratchy. I I think pretty much just went home, went to bed, whatever. Next thing I really remember is like a detective did end up coming to my household, um, in the days after, um, and similar to what other people on the podcast have said, they've come and come and said, being like, now, look, we've got your statement from that night. Is there anything you want to add? Blah, blah, blah. Let's go through it again. See if it's changed at all or whatever. It's like we did, we were able to identify the person on CCTV um, and get his, they actually got his name and details and everything from that. Um, And he's like, so we can actually press charges if you wanted to go ahead. But I guess the caveat for him was basically like, he was pretty upfront and I don't necessarily think it was a scare tactic on like he was trying to deter me or scare me. He was actually quite lovely. Um, But it was basically like, this will be hard this will be really hard if you want to pursue it. Um, And I didn't end up going through with it. I didn't think it was worth it, but the detective did basically say whatever way you want to go with it, um, like we're here to support you, but if you don't want to go through with it, um, (laughs) what did he say? He was like, um, you better believe I'm going over to his house and scaring the absolute shit out of him. Um, (laughs) I was just like, I appreciate that. Um, so yeah, um, I think, yeah, it was to a lesser degree of what I've experienced previously, but my reaction, it was just intense. And I don't know if it was partly due to alcohol, probably was, but I, after that, I was just like, what the fuck? Why does this shit keep happening to me? Like I got really over it, I guess. Like it was like the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, well, I think that's it. I mean, how many times have you been, you know, in the space of a very short period of life, you know, you are a young adult, right, at this stage, and you've already been violated and unwantingly assaulted by three separate people. All three of these incidents are legal sexual assaults, like unwanted sexual touching of a private area is what they could charge that person with. You cannot do that to somebody. The sexual assault by the ex-partner, that was the same thing. And the unwanted sexual touching by an adult to a child, like these are things that are, they are in law for a reason. And I think that, yes, maybe your response in this situation was different, but how many times have you had to experience this? And that overwhelming feeling of just adding more and more 
shit to this pile that's just about to topple over on top of you. Like it's completely understandable that you turn around and you're just like, fuck off. Like what the fuck and lose your shit. I would too. Literally. I absolutely lost it. (laughs) Um, And I was like, you know, at the end of the day, I was like, go me. Like, fuck yeah. I wish I had done that. You know, the other times Um, there was a bit of that. Like I was hindsight. I was like, fuck's sake. Like that wasn't even the worst of it. I was just like, why didn't you do this with old mate last time? Like, for fuck's sake. But, um, yeah, anyway. (laughs) I think it's, it is that. And it's, you can't grade any of these things. These are people who are violating your personal boundaries in a sexual nature. And it's consistently happened. And I think we've all experienced all of the other forms of this. So these are three key events for you, but I'm sure how many times have you gone to the beach and somebody's perved at you or, you know, pinched your butt or grabbed your waist and moved you or screamed out their window at you as you're running down the street. Like it's not, it's an overwhelmingly large amount of shit to deal with. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And I think your response as well, this is the first time it was by a stranger. So there's might be a little bit more safety in knowing there's people around this is somebody that I don't have trust with and you might obviously be feeling in this situation like you're more valid to react. Yeah, and I guess, like I said, my friends were there too. So, like, I, it wasn't a scenario where I was alone with the perpetrator, um, I guess, you know. There was other people around, like, and a lot of people. <laughs> um, so it's not like I could just sit in the moment and be like, all right, you're fine, get it together. I was like, no, like, I have to say something. Absolutely. And I'm glad that that you did. And I really hope that that cop went over and scared the absolute shit out of him. Be a fly on the wall. I wish he did because he was such a nice guy, but I was like, I would really not like you to yell at me. So really. (laughs) Yeah. But I guess they were the main things that, um, I guess still like influence today, which is pretty cooked. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I think it just goes to show that they where humans and trauma resides in the body trauma, you know, it stays with us and it takes a lot of work to get to a point where trauma affects you less. Um, I've said this in another episode was, you know, I don't think there's this pinnacle of healing. You're never going to get to a point where you were who you were because that person doesn't exist anymore. This is getting to a point where you can deal with your things that you trigger you better and better, or you can be more resilient to things that come your way as well. And I think that's the epitome of healing, not being healed. Yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily like what is, you can't really define what that is. I don't know if it's regardless. Yeah. I don't, I don't think there is a goal, I guess. It's just to be better than I was yesterday today or just to get through each day I guess um yeah that's that's all I'm trying to achieve at the moment yeah and I think you've done pretty good and you said you're you're seeing a psycho psychologist psychiatrist Uh, uh, psychologist yeah I've seen her for oh coming up I think three three years now and I see her baby maybe every like three weeks or so um and that's been like pivotal pivotal because I've dabbled in psychology when I was 14 15 um 
but fell out of it. I've I've had been on antidepressants before and a couple of times and it just got to a point where I was just like, okay, I either need to commit to it or I or I don't. Um I was just like you need to, I need to be active in my own post-traumatic growth. Um but I'm I'm really strict uh, on you know, having scheduled appointments and making sure that I've got those appointments because sometimes I get to the the day of the appointment and be like, there is nothing I want to do less than go to this appointment, but because I have it booked in, it forces me to go. Um, and then there are other days where I'm like, fuck yes, like I have a list of things to talk to. Let's get this done. Let's work on this. Um, but I'm super, super committed these days to being consistent because consistency for me, is how it's going to work. Um, it's like um, someone's, I think it was maybe even my psych was saying to me, like, I'm, I'm a healthcare professional. Like I lecture people all day, every day, like exercise, consistency of exercise is how you see benefits. And it's like exercising your mind and being consistent with it. It's not going to get better over overnight. And it's something that I need to, you know, do for me, I guess. But yeah, she's been key and I am a big therapy advocate now always have been but even more so now yeah more so now and I think it's like you're right it's finding your right therapy or your right therapist um but yeah it's right it's also like each person's goals for physical exercise or physicality are different so someone might want to run 10k someone might want to lift 200 kilos someone might just want to be able to do 10 push-ups like everybody's goals are different. And I think that is the same analogy that you could utilize for the brain and saying exercising this is to get to a certain point or to reach an area kind of thing. So do you want to achieve X or Y? Like the point is I think you've got different goals and there is no epitome of healed or healing. You know, you're not going to get to a point where you're like, you know what my goal is? I want to reach the top of that mountain, that mountain called healed over there. I'm going to wake up one day and I'm just going to be on top of it. I'm going to wave a flag. And then everything that I've ever gone through is never going to affect me ever again in my life. We all know that's not going to fucking happen. How do I find it? (laughs) (laughs) But I think that's it. You've got your own goals and you set these goals. And um, yeah, therapy has been great for me. Um, I go in and out because I'm, I also have ADHD. So the consistency is not something I need. <laughs> I'm the opposite. I need consistency in absolutely everything. My partner hates it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, no, but it is. it goes to show like what you need and what you want is so different. And, you know, I think for me having things that I tick off every day has been really great. About I've been off track a little bit the last few weeks. So for me I've had, all right, these are my goals. I want to have two liters of water a day. I want to do 10,000 steps a day. I want to exercise for at least half an hour. Um, Just little things. Exercising can also be my 10,000 steps. I've got leeway. So I think, yeah, there are things though that you can feel at the end of the day, like you've achieved something. And for me, that's been the most important thing about getting back on track. Mm, Absolutely. It's whatever you find benefit and value in as well. You were saying that, you know, obviously we know you're a healthcare professional, we know that, you know, obviously along with that comes a lot of study, but you've got another life as well. Um, so how has it been for you to get to where you are now after this trauma and, and, and how's that come to, to be for you? 
Um, so I think after after uni was a big like turning point for me. Like I, I studied for eight years. I studied with you and then I did another couple of degrees because um, I just loved being a professional student. Um, but then I was kind of like, okay, now like now I just have to start and go be an adult. Like that was big for me. But I think um, I my biggest thing was my current partner now. Like he not like all credit to me, obviously, but like credit to him too. Um, we developed a really good friendship. Um, we both play soccer together. Um, and we've developed a really good friendship and he basically just provided like a space for me to, to unleash everything and like a safe space. Um, and he has been like pivotal and just been so nurturing and accommodating to anything like, I'll come back from a therapy session. I'll be like, all right, we've got to do this, this, and this, this week. And he's just like, cool, let's do it. Done. Like no questions asked. Like he's so supportive. Um, and I, I do credit a lot of my growth and um, healing towards him. Um, he's pretty incredible. Um, but I guess it's just, you know, doing, finding my groove after uni, you know, getting into work, um, settling into that. Um, I do find a lot of value and, um, what, do you, what's it, what is it? Reward? Is it reward? Out of my job, <laughs> like I yeah. do, a pretty amazing profession. In that, you know, I get to help people every single day, and I get thanked for it by people every single day. Um, it's fucking hard, um, <laughs> and like I, emotionally, it's taxing. But when I look back, I'm really grateful for it. Um, so that's good. You know, I'm have a really amazing relationship with my mum still. She's still my biggest supporter. Um, and I just try to, like I said, more so take, try not to get overwhelmed. I try to take one day at a time. Some days are good, some days are shit. And that's how it is, really. Absolutely. And I think you said before as well, before we started talking, you've taken this week off. We are in lockdown at the moment or we go, we come out of lockdown in two hours at midnight tonight uh, in Melbourne. But, you know, I think, yeah, so you took that week off just because you needed a bit of a break. And I think that's important as well. Is that what were you feeling like coming up to just wanting a bit of a break? Oh, I am a, not an overworker, but I am, I get massive guilt. Like I'm a subcontractor. So if I don't work, I don't get money. Um, so I'm not just motivated by money, but I also have massive guilt taking time off, um, not just for leaving my patients. Um, but I'm just like, no, you should be working harder. You don't need a break, blah, 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 blah. So I'm always at really big high risk of being burnt out. So I was just getting to the point where I was just like, I'm really going to crash and burn here. Um, we're in lockdown. Why not take a week off? Not really earning that much money in lockdown. So, um, yeah, I just get really overwhelmed and then I know that I need to take a breath and I have the luxury of being able to take off time more or less whenever I want. Um, so I called it. I think that's amazing though as well. Like this is a part of huge part of growth, I think is identifying what we need and being confident enough to take it and do it and, and do what we can to, you know, do with it. Like even if you could only take three days off or something, um, compromising with yourself and making sure that you've given yourself time and space. I think that's incredible. And I think just even that taking that time shows how much you've grown um, and how much you care for yourself and look after yourself. I think like um, 
I'm a lot better these days at recognising and picking up those kind of things. Like um, you were talking about senses and stuff earlier on um, and I'm really big on senses like smells, um, spaces, like environments and things like that. So, you know, if I'm feeling pretty, pretty shitty, I'll kick my partner out of the room, put the candles on, make it dark, get in bed. So I've got like the softness and the good smells and things like that. So just all those little things that I find self-soothing and, yeah, things like taking time off when I need as well. Yeah. That's amazing. You're absolutely incredible. Um, And I'm so grateful to have you in my life and to have been able to do uni with you. Um, I miss the shit out of you. Um, But if you were to say as well, I always ask, um, if you were to give somebody some advice for you and for them that's in a situation that you found yourself in, um, what what would the advice be? Somebody experiencing some of this now. You did not prep me for this one. <laughs> I don't on purpose. <laughs> um, wait, so in the moment? Um, doesn't have to just, be in the moment. I think just to another survivor of, of these types of crimes or of sexual violence or anything like that, like what what do you think is, is a bit of advice that somebody might be able to take with them or, or something that's helped you along the way? Um. Yeah, great. I don't know. Good question. So I think, look, you, you, there's not necessarily going to particular time when you're ready. Like when you're ready, you're ready. And I guess it's cliche. Everyone says like you can only help, like people can only help themselves when they want to be helped or move on or because it is a lot of work. Um, but, yeah, don't feel pressured into doing or doing things you don't want to like, whether it be therapy or, you know, any, anything else that's going to happen. Um, but for me, I guess it's the relationships, like the people that I've surrounded myself with now that have, and like this includes my partner, but also friends and stuff that have given me the confidence to do that because it is scary and it is fucking hard. So you do need those relationships to support you when you're going through it because it's not only the incident but it's the journey past that and I hate using the word journey but you know it is is that all that after time afterwards where you need the support so I think do things when you're ready and when you feel comfortable too but also yeah make sure that you have the support there when you are going to go through it that would be my main thing <laughs> yeah absolutely I think it's awesome but it's it, it's 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 such a true statement and I don't think anybody said that before or yet is you know, get becoming ready. You know, we can, you can know that all of these tools are there. You can look at somebody doing journaling, affirmations, tap therapy, breathing therapy, genuine normal therapy. There's so many things that you can do, but you don't have to do anything unless you want to. And it might be just talking to a friend and that might be the thing that you really need that to be ready for, you know, some people are in different circumstances, but I think that's really good advice, Tay. And I I think it looks different for everyone as well. Like it's, you know, therapy might not be for you, but that's fine. But it also may just be that that therapist is not for you. I think people do give up too easily, um, but there's so many different, well, not easily, I guess, like, you know, there are so many different people out there and strategies, I guess, to explore. Like you want to do affirmations, go for it but I personally couldn't think of anything worse. So I never do affirmations. Same. Anymore. Like, mm, I hate them. Um, if you're into crystals, 
go buy your courts. That's fine. But me, I just want to talk to my therapist. That's fine. So I think it's just like no one way is going to fit um, everybody. Like it's so individualized and every, every experience is so different. So I think trying a few different avenues and not giving up so quickly is also another, another thing I would probably, um, encourage. I know that it's crazy. I know that it's stupid. That's not stupid because it's my thing. Um, I don't need therapy and stuff as much. I don't think anymore because I go for really long walks with my dog every day and I listen to crime podcasts and I know that is morbid as fuck. But I think what it is, is it dissociates me in a way of meditation almost where I'm not thinking about anything going on in my life. I am not thinking about different types of things. And I think if that's something that also works for you, what a great place to start. Chuck on someone good, chuck on this podcast and just dissociate a little bit. And if that works for you, then then that's a great place to start. Yeah, I absolutely agree. There's nothing better than content that makes you switch off. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I am so grateful to have had this chat. And yeah, if anybody wants to to get in contact um, with you, are you happy for people to message you on Instagram? Yeah, absolutely. That is so fine. Um, obviously, yeah, I'm, I'm an osteo as well. So I like helping people. But um, yeah, anybody can message me with anything really um, regarding what we've talked about today. That's so fine. Awesome. So I'm going to put the link to your Instagram in the show notes for this episode. Thank you again, Taylor. So for now, this is Reclaim Me signing out. Thank you. This content may have been distressing or triggering for some listeners. In Australia, for national crisis support, please contact Lifeline on 131114. For more resources, please see the show notes for this episode. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.